0: If you're able to connect with the person and little by little build trust and get information, they actually found that people that liked the person that interviewed or interrogated them were the people that gave confession.
1: Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm Becca Heff, Chief Brand Officer at Sunrise Banks, and I am joined by my colleague, Brian Toft, Chief Revenue Officer at Sunrise Banks.
2: Hey, Becca, glad to be here.
1: Yeah, it's good to see you. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Each year, we're down at South by Southwest talking to the innovators from around the world. But if you haven't been to South by yet, it's really, as Jason Henrichs of LA Labs and Breaking Bank states, where the future is at. But first, let's talk a little bit more about South by before we dive in.
2: Yeah, South by draws about 300,000 people per year. And uh, as I just mentioned, it's referred to many people as South by full title South by Southwest. But it's an annual conglomeration of film, interactive media, music festivals and conferences, which is organized jointly and take on uh, take place around mid-March in Austin, Texas. It began in the 80s and has continued to grow in scope and size every year. And many people know of it as more of an event that intersects music and film, and now tech and education, and of course FinTech, which we're gonna talk about today, have been added over the years.
1: Yeah, and you know, this year at South By um, in 2023, we met a lot of interesting people. Today, we'll share some of their conversations to give you that insider's perspective of what was top of mind this year. Let's go ahead and dig in.
2: So our first stop and interview was at the Equality Lounge, which was sponsored by The Female Quotient. It's an equality services company that creates platforms for women and solutions for organizations committed to closing the gender gap in the workplace.
3: Just came out of a session uh, talking about loneliness as uh, women, as we rise in the workforce and how we can um, create community and um, support each other, and um, finding those different resources and being those support systems for each other.
1: I have to admit, this was one of my favorite houses to visit, Brian. There were so many interesting and compelling people at this house. And when you walked in, they had this like large bookcase off to the side of all these various new book titles focused on gender equity gap. And the best part about it all was that, they were encouraging you to pick one to take one home. And, you know, I was just so overwhelmed. I had to ask one of the hosts which book she would recommend. And I wound up taking um, the book, The Anxious Achiever by Maura um, Aaron's Mail. And I finished it uh, not that long ago, um, after I got back from South by Southwest. And it's about using anxiety as your superpower, which I have never heard. But now I'm starting to practice some of these tools and techniques in the book. And it's it's really, really interesting.
2: Yeah, I remember when you got back and you told me about that, using anxiety as your superpower. And I just thought that was such a great way to look at it and a total reframing of anxiety. So um Going to our next interview, um, there are a lot of men and women at the Equality Lounge, and uh, here we talk to Zoe and hear about her experience.
0: Is this your first time at South by Southwest? It is not. I was actually born and raised here in Austin, um, but didn't start coming to South by until a few years ago. I happened to be here taking care of my mom, uh, saw it was happening that weekend, and went to actual interactive events for the first time and found out, wow, there's a lot of really cool talks and things going on around the conference. And ever since then, I come every year just to stay at home with my parents and run around and see as much as I
1: can and meet cool people. That is so great. And yes, we, we, are, we agree, you are a cool person to me, <laughs> Zoe. <laughs> um, so what's been your favorite house
0: so far? My favorite house so far has definitely been the Equality Lounge, which is down uh, by what I know as Town Lake, now Lady Lake. Um, Absolutely beautiful, amazing kind of food and coffee and people. Tons of really fun, like inspirational quotes and different things all around. They did an amazing job decorating it. And I've been to some really cool talks there as well.
1: So we actually met Zoe at the Fast Company Grill. So Zoe's a scientist from some med tech company, and she told us about this session called Resilience, which was held at that quality lounge. The story she tells is so compelling about assumptions we make as leaders. I really wish I would have caught this session.
0: Uh, My favorite talk now, okay, I think it was called, I want to say it was called Resilience, but it was with this woman named Evie, whose last name I will have to look up, uh, but she worked with the Secret Service for decades, uh, supported multiple administrations, the Clinton administration, Bush uh, Jr. administration, and Obama, um, and she was really talking about everything that she learned working with the Secret Service, particularly as an interviewer slash interrogator trying to connect with people. And she has a master's in uh, forensic psychology and like really, really has deeply gone into the science of how to connect with people and what it takes to do that and to do that as a leader. Her nickname, they called her the Greek Spider because she's Greek and they said they never saw her coming. (laughs) Um, And you know, she's someone that what she said is there's there's this idea exactly what you mentioned of people be needing to be really intimidating generally like large men who are like screaming in your face and that's how you get confessions and that's how you get people to talk to you and you know she was really talking about how that's it's the opposite is true and if you look at the research if you're able to connect with the person and little by little build trust and get information they actually found that people that liked the person that interviewed or interrogated them were the people that gave confessions. And so the need to connect, and and she said it really comes down to two things. It's competence and warmth, And those are the single two factors that make you most effective as an interviewer slash interrogator and uh, as a leader. And so the research really shows that the the competencies and qualities and approaches are the same across both. Uh, and so really, really fascinating discussion,
2: yeah, after I heard Zoe talk about this session, I totally wish I could have been there as well. Uh, I just love examples where you have, you know, like she talked about, an interrogator that you assume is this big person yelling at someone to get the truth out of them. And it turns out the research shows that in order to get the truth or get a confession or even build a relationship, you gotta come at it in small trust building ways. And I think that's true And what we found as a leader, you have to come at it from a relationship building and trust standpoint. And, and that's just always fascinating to me to hear like, oh, you can flip this around and show that what you think might be the case for a leader or an interrogator or whatever may not be the case in reality when it comes to what people actually like and react to and respond to.
1: You know, that's well said, Brian. Um, You are so spot on. I think about some of the tougher um, people that I've tried to crack, so to speak, that were hard to get to know. It took more time um, and it took building that trust, like you said, and building that relationship to get them to open up to you. And um, it's, it's a challenge, but in the end, it is so well worth it. This year was also an interesting mix of people who were Um, Not only South by Southwest veterans, but mostly, and I thought this was interesting, it was people who had never been there before. And I think with the pandemic lifting, it felt like the streets were just full and everyone was out for recess. This next person we talked to is Phil from a large bank.
4: Yeah, for me, I, I think you know. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world, uh, the, the financial services world, especially as we as we sit here this weekend. And I think what I want to, what I've been thinking about, and what I what I've been sort of noodling on is how do we how do we take unfortunate events and re- understand them better before reacting, because I think there's a lot of reactionary things going on right now and using that to ultimately figure out how to do a a better job at some of the things that have caused the uh, unfortunate circumstances
2: so can you guess which big event he's talking about Uh, (laughs) at this time during south by southwest while the fintech contingency was meeting that second week of march that's when the news was breaking about silicon valley bank and the threats of potentially bank runs at other banks and uh, their demise. So the weekend was full of buzz, I think, because a lot of those fintechs, I'm assuming, were banking at Silicon Valley Bank, along with Signature, which, of course, we know both fallen at this point. Um, But nobody really knew what was happening, and there was a lot of Mm -hmm. fear uh, at that time. Um, But, of course, with that uh, kind of fear and chaos comes opportunity, and one of the things that we've noticed over time here is um, better education, I would say. So education around you know what is FDIC insurance and right. what are how can banks help people keep their money safe? A lot of people just assume uh, my money's safe at the bank, but you really have to make sure that you, pay attention to FDIC insurance. So there's a company called Intrify that Sunrise works with, and that is a way to trade FDIC insurance. And it really did strike me. I tweeted about this. It struck me during this whole... Process with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. How many people were not aware of Intrify and the fact Mm -hmm. that their bank can get them FDIC insurance over the limit of two hundred fifty thousand? So you don't have to bank at ten banks if you have you know a significant you know amount of money from you know your startup or your company or even personally. You can there are tools and ways for you to do it. Um, So I do think that's one of the positives that came out of this. Banks are now making sure that they're customers are aware of FDAC insurance and educating them on those products and making sure that their, you know, financial situation is healthy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, you brought up a good point. I remember it, actually you and I were talking to a FinTech recently and they thought they had to take whatever is over the 250 and put 250 in every single in, you know, 10, yeah. 20 different banks so that they would be safe. And re- their eyes just opened up and, um, We're very pleased to hear that there were alternatives, so they wouldn't have to manage such chaos with multiple uh, banking institutions. And so, um, yes, Silicon Valley was definitely on everyone's brain um, that weekend. Uh, Right now, we're going to jump uh, to the next section where we talked to what we think were some of the most interesting and new fintechs that we met at South by Southwest and their business models. Before we do, I have to have you listen to what Maddie said at the fintech house.
3: I feel like the conversations have been incredibly authentic at the end of the day. I feel like also people are very vulnerable and people are connecting on a deeper level than maybe what you would have in a normal business or professional setting. I feel like those lines are being blurred around that personal and professional self kind of coming together at the end of the day. And we're having some really great conversations around financial services, banking, human-centered design, diversity, equity, and inclusion, big, big ticket items and issues. I heard this sentence from one of the attendees of the fintech house and they said a bank is not a place that you go banking is something you do and i think that those are words that we all need to think about and live by because it challenged us to look at different business models products, services, and how we tell our story and manage brands as a result of that. I think a big piece of this is communication as well. So if we can think about banking as something that you do, how can we also work together? And people are being very authentic in trying to bounce ideas off of each other in trying to work together. Banks, fintechs, credit unions, all having these engaging discussions here. So I love it.
2: I I love what Maddie said here. You know, a bank is not somewhere you go, but it's something you do. And I don't, you don't hear too many people talk about that banking in that type of context, but it does remind me of a conversation I had with a customer at one point, a real estate investor. And we had, you know, quite a few properties financed with him. And after about a year, I was having lunch with him and he he said, you know, Brian, where is your bank anyway? And it just kind of (laughs) struck me like, Oh, he's never even been to the bank and uh, he's never been to a branch. We always either met at his office or we met for lunch. And and I think that is, you know, that was years ago. And I think that's only been perpetuated by the pandemic that really banking is not necessarily someplace people want to go. It might be more of an errand rather than a destination. And uh, and so how can we bring banking you know, to people rather than have them come to the bank?
1: Yeah. You know, you told me that story and I was like that. And that was even before, like you said, the pandemic. Yes. And so that quote, uh, a bank is not up someplace you go, it's something you do, really puts a whole new light on the customer experience and what banking is really about. But now we've come to the section of the episode where Brian and I are going to highlight our top three most interesting fintechs. And uh, we're going to start with MocaFi. MocaFi isn't necessarily new, are they, Brian?
2: No, they're not. They've been around a while, but uh, definitely what they do is uh, is intriguing and the mission that they have, I think everybody should pay attention to.
1: Yeah, they're truly a fintech um, doing good. In short, they have a financial services platform for Americans who deal with economic hardship. So let's go ahead and listen to Tremaine, who's head of Credit Risk and Fraud, um, to talk about MocaFi um, when we were at the uh, fintech luminaries event at South By.
3: So what Mogify does is we offer demand deposit accounts for the unbanked or underbanked communities. So that's a lot of the black and brown communities or, you know, in those communities are not only food deserts but banking deserts as well. And so what we do is we we offer them an account where we don't have any brick and mortars but we have partnerships with other banks to give them free ATM access and so they never need to go into a brick and mortar. And so what we do is we offer them that account, we send them a card, we also have a mobile card. And so we allow them to then become banked. and then what we, the plan is to hopefully to for them to deposit save and then grow their wealth right and those are the three things that we try to do at MokaFi.
2: yeah mocafi has just been doing some really interesting things and uh their impact has been exponential they they're really focused on the community they're trying to serve and i remember hearing about the founding story from woley Coxum. Uh, and if you have never heard about it definitely check it out mocafi m-o-c-a-f-i uh Mole had this light bulb moment after uh, he heard about and read about the shooting of the teenager in Ferguson, Missouri, and he was sitting in his office. I think he was on Wall Street at the time. and He just said, what can I do to help? How can I make Mm. a difference? And he he then went and built Mocafy to address social inequities and address the racial wealth gap. I just think it's so amazing, the founding story of that company.
5: Really, really cool.
2: So let's go ahead and take a listen to our second favorite FinTech we found at South by Southwest.
5: I think um, since I've been in the space, it's been interesting because we are not your traditional business. We We don't do payments, we don't do any of that. And so my company is really pushing forward and bringing more of a empathy and emotional deposit driven application that helps families really organize all of their documents, do legal pieces, and um, make sure that their planning and and wealth plans are all in place. So we're something that's a little bit different than your traditional fintech. And so being able to go into community banks and, and bring this product where they think is very emotionally driven um, and also having those pieces that are very methodical and and you're driving the um, non-interest income. You're doing those different pieces that are really on the edge of money, as Alloy Labs likes to say, that really pushes the boundaries on, okay, let's diversify how we're, um, you know, Making money and and relating with our customers and keeping and building real authentic relationships with them. And if people want to learn more about postage or the postage, where do they go? They go to the postage dot com um, and find me on LinkedIn or whatever, and I'd be happy to chat.
1: So I met Emily at the fintech house, Brian, and she is just really in this interesting fintech space. Um, her fintech is called The Postage, and it's a convenient full service digital platform that collects critical information and digital assets all in one place. And they provide what they call peace of mind through information security and planning services, allowing their users to protect their wealth and wisdom today for future generations. So you know, and I took that straight from, from the website, um, the actual, the language, but in short, they have helped thousands of families organize and secure their plans and memories on the postage. And so for me, um, I, don't know how much you know, Brian, but I am a baby of five kids and I was the whoops, mom's pregnant sibling. Um, and I was left to take care of everything financially related to my parents. And I will have to say, it's been a real struggle. Um, my mom is in her 90s. And um, at the time when my dad passed away, for example, there wasn't anything available uh, before her health started to decline, before my dad's health started to decline. So it felt like I was starting fresh and trying to be a detective and figure out where everything was and how to manage their finances. And I so wish I had the postage. And I'm so glad there is a fintech filling this market niche.
2: Yeah, sometimes you you don't think about it until it might be too late or, or close to too late. And totally. so it's a really... Really cool to think about. I've been doing um, with my dad actually something called Story Worth. And every week he gets sent a question um, about his life and he writes about it. And at the end, they give you a book and you kind of have this book full of memories. So the postage kind of reminded me of that, where it's like, you know, one of my dad's biggest regrets is not asking his grandparents, for example, you know, these questions and getting those stories and having them written down. And postage kind of reminds me of that. Where it's like, gosh, get all your stuff in order now and have someone help you. Have someone that's done it before, like the postage. I think that's really cool. Totally. So let's close out with our final favorite fintech we met at South by and it's WorldSpan. This fintech is doing something really interesting. Um, And as financial institutions are becoming more and more aware and regulators are becoming more and more aware of the role they play in uh, climate change and climate risk and protecting our planet and being net zero in carbon emissions. uh, Let's hear what Janik has to say.
4: So, my insurtech de-risks banks so that they can participate in this green financing program called PACE that they have previously been averse to for various reasons. I guess my greatest story is the reaction I get from banks, which is like as soon as I tell them what we're doing, their like, eyes open up and they're super excited because everybody wants to help save the planet, but they don't necessarily know how, and we show banks a way how, to where they can not only save the planet, but get a new revenue stream. If you're a, a business property owner or a homeowner, right now, there's, there's no clear-cut, evident uh, financing program for you to do your part and to, you know, let's say you're interested in putting a Tesla charger in or solar panels or more efficient windows or HVAC, there's no current program, go-to program available for you to go do that. You wouldn't know where to or how to go do that. And we're changing that with our FinTech program to blow in the availability of uh, green financing so that everyday bus- home and business owner now has an option to put, to do their part and cut their bills.
1: So Brian, um, I met Janik at the FinTech Luminaries event, and I spoke with him for quite a bit. And what I really love is the passion he has for his work and his mission. And being involved in the Global Alliance for Banking and Values, I know there are a number of banks who are interested in helping close the climate equity gap.
2: Yeah, and there's so many banks and credit unions are looking for ways outside of some of the traditional financing models to address these concerns. So, you know, biggest threats in urban areas are strip malls and hospitals and commercial real estate buildings actually emit the highest levels of carbon. And building owners are looking to retrofit these buildings so that they're more environmentally friendly. And in some, some cases, we've heard of, you know, certifications called passive house. So if you haven't heard of passive house, go out and take a look. I mean, it's just like Taking the green uh, effort to the next level, and I just think it's it's so amazing some of the innovations happening in this space. And it's going to be economically beneficial, of course, but but more importantly, environmentally beneficial. So hopefully, through all these different innovations, we can continue to decrease the carbon footprint and and enhance kind of what we're thinking from an environmental standpoint.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, this closes out this year's highlights from South by Southwest 2023. We all hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Ariel Red. Ariel Red is an ambient leading music project by award-winning producer, composer, Pete Stewart with a mixture of organic and synthetic textures and an array of dynamics and emotions. Here is Silver Horizon by Ariel Redd. Silver Horizon by Ariel Red. You can find more of Ariel Red's music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Baker podcast, email david at nextgen-baker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Baker podcast. We'll see you soon.